to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie. And, and we're, we're still, still married. married. We just started our fourth now session with our workshop on a tightrope. So we've, we're getting to know a little over 20 couples, which is awesome and very, very fun. We've had a number of questions about, uh, you know, is there going to be more of these sessions throughout the year? And there will be uh, dates forthcoming, but we'll do at least one more. Uh, and but Katie, we we do have a kind of a special for Valentine's Day uh, single workshop that may be a more affordable than a full course, but B, it's kind of a fun topic. Why don't you tell everybody about it? So we again have partnered with Natasha Helfer to bring to you sex and intimacy. We're bringing you sex. We're bringing you sex because I mean Valentine's is coming up, and that's basically what people want right is that isn't that why like the husband plans the nice dinner and gets the chocolates and the teddy bear that women hate it's not always the man that is trying to get the sex oh that's true that's that's very stereotypical and that's one of the things that we talk about in the in the presentation is libido differences and how it's not only male versus female that's right so just to make it affordable for everyone and because it's funny we are making this cost $69 oh that's fun I kind of (laughs) joked like hey we should make it $69 and then I went back and put my head down and started working and Later on, I see text messages back and forth from Katie and Natasha, and they're, yeah, let's do $69. $69. (laughs) So you can go to marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com, and that is going to be online content that you'll watch before our live Q&A. So you'll watch almost a two-hour, full two-hour presentation, and then... You know, you bring your questions. We have 90 minutes with Natasha, who is a certified sex therapist and knows her stuff. And so we will meet on Thursday, February 11th at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We did it a little bit earlier so that our East Coast friends had kind of an okay time period, right? Well, so that after the 90 minutes, they still have some awake time to go and practice what they learn. Well, that's why we're doing it on February 11th is so that they can go practice what they learned for Valentine's weekend. That's right. Now, this is not a Kama Sutra course. No, it's uh, not. To be fair. In fact, let me just say a couple of things about what is in the course, what you can expect to hear in the presentation. So you'll hear things about positive and negative messaging surrounding sexuality, um, what realistic expectations of sex are, differences in sexual values, Alan mentioned, uh, mentioned libido, typical sexual tenders, and then finally... So six, what, well, like what's an example of a sexual tender? Uh, maybe if you're wanting to um, do something that I'm not willing to do with sex toys or with... I no longer feel like masturbation is wrong. For example, yes. that would be one example that would of be a tender. A, a where tender. One spouse is like, yeah, not cool with that. And the other spouse is like, well, we need to talk about this. Right. Exactly. So how do you talk about and negotiate that? And then we talk about six principles of sexual health and then the benefits of sexual healthy sexual activity. And this should be an it's always a I don't want to say a crowd pleaser. <laughs> oh, it but is. It is. A, oh, it is. It's always extremely pleasurable. So this this is <laughs> this sex and intimacy class is is done as part of our six week workshop as a bonus week. So we offer it for free for couples that join 
before a certain date, and then the rest of the couples can join it if they would like to. Uh, so this is unique where we're doing this just as a standalone, which is kind of fun for that $69. Uh, you can go to, like Katie mentioned, marriageandatightrope.thinkific.com. Right now, the, the presentation is available. That two-hour uh, presentation with Natasha, Katie, and myself is available now. So you watch that ahead of time. And then when we get together live, you can ask questions. Uh, and we also assign uh, four different kind of activities. We call them your tightrope in action to put into exercise some of the things that we've learned throughout the time together in that presentation, that two-hour presentation. Yeah, and that's a really good way to connect and to work on your sexuality together. So. That's right. Awesome. We hope to see you then. Join us, yes. Now, we have an, an episode, uh, not just an advertisement. We have an episode today of an interview with uh, the Rosenhans, Alex and Megan Rosenhan. Uh, we've been talking, I've been talking with Alex for a little, a little bit now and didn't know his full story until this episode. Uh, now, we want to preface this with a trigger warning about uh, suicidal thoughts, even suicide attempts are discussed uh, they they are mentioned um, and then talked about for a few minutes after that. So when you hear a suicide attempt mentioned, if that is triggering for you, skip ahead three or four minutes and and you'll be, you'll be done. It's not a uh, it's not an ongoing topic in the episode, but it is mentioned. And also trigger warning: another topic that is actually discussed and is uh, a big length. part at length a big part of their story is mental health illness and awareness so just um, note that and we thought that this was a really important subject something that I think doesn't get a lot of uh, focus is mental health especially in transitioning LDS um yeah, members. So a lot of times the transitioner feels like we need to put up this front of I'm doing so much better now that I've left the church. I'm so much happier. Everything's everything's going so well. If you know what movie that's from, email <laughs> us and I'll, I'll give you a high five. Oh, no, we'll give you a, a discount code for the Sex and Enemies C course. So it's only sixty eight dollars. Uh, but anyway, it's Moulin Rouge. So um, uh, what were we talking about? You just ruined it for everyone. I don't Jeez. care. I ruin things and that's fine. No, it, it's it's often uh, taboo to, to even admit it. And. Add into the fact that males are are in our culture pretty well known to just swallowing their feelings and not talking about it. It's not manly to talk about your feelings. Uh, nor it is, nor is it to seek out help, especially see, for exactly, mental health. Exactly. Yes. So for that reason, we're so glad that Alex and Megan leaned into those biases and leaned into that that difficulty to actually talk about it. Uh, and you'll hear it. It's not easy to talk about. And one of the things I love about this episode is so many of our of our interviews are from people who have gone through their transition and have like words of wisdom to share. Megan and Alex are in the middle of it. And things are raw and things are hard. But there's a lot of truth and a lot of vulnerability in what they share. So... We hope you enjoy this episode. I do have to admit, Katie, it's been a while since you and I have just done an episode of just what's going on with us. We have, I think, a, a big reason why is not because we don't have things to share, but because we set up that Calendly calendar for couples to be able to just go and sign up. 
and it's actually really worked. Like it's gotten us a really good stream of, of couples. If you've listened to the last handful of episodes telling their own story, which we are so happy has worked out, but in the next couple of episodes, we're closing in on a hundred. So episode a hundred for sure will at least be more in detail and probably a retrospective of what the last hundred episodes has looked like. Oh, you're setting us up for failure. <laughs> it'll be a full scale musical. We'll it'll we'll have a prelude and a one day more style song where it brings all the styles together. Trust me, episode one one hundred is is going to be something to write home about. Okay, can't wait to see what you put together. <laughs> Enjoy this episode with the Rosenhands. We'd now like to welcome to Marriage in the Tightrope, Megan and Alex Rosenhand. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> we're, we're excited to get to know you guys a little bit better. For those who have never been on Marriage and the Tightrope, we, we tend to like, we want to get to know you guys a little before we hit record, right? Megan and Alex, we talked, I called you my own name. Megan and Alex, we, we, we chatted for a few minutes beforehand, but we like to really get to know you on the episode. So there's this like weird balance of wanting to make sure that you're comfortable. We break the ice, but not too much because it's fun to get natural reactions and whatnot. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we've, we've met that, 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 that goal, that objective. But I, I we would love to, uh, hear your story. Um, the interviews that we do typically, right? They last about an hour. And if you're listening to this, we, we learn a little bit about the couple before, uh, they met how they were up brought up brought. Is that past tense of upbringing? Mm, sure. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> they, uh, how they were up brought in, in the church and, uh, and we get pretty, pretty quickly into the, the faith crisis. The needy greedy. The needy greedy. Isn't that what, um, Nacho Jack, Libre? Yeah. Jack, Jack Black says. Yes. That's right. By the way, if you don't follow Jack Black on TikTok, <laughs> he is just the breath of shirtless air. I'll say that. He's always shirtless. It's wonderful. He's hairy. He is. Oh. And he just owns it. He owns it. So anyways, uh, we're not, this is not a Jack Black uh, interview. This is a Rosenhan interview. So I'll shut up. We let's, let's throw it over to the Rosenhans and talk a little bit about uh, your upbringing. Megan, would you mind if we start with you? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Sandy. Um, Orthodox family. All my brothers served missions. My experience in the church, I don't know. I I don't have any bad experiences that I can think of. Um, I had, when I was young, I had some health problems that doctors said that I would struggle to walk and I would struggle in science and um, all these things. And none of them ended up coming true. And I've We've always attributed that to priestly blessings and fasting and prayer. Um, so that's kind of been a big base of my testimony, even though I was old enough to remember that, um, just the stories being told. Um, yeah, I've always <laughs> been um, a believer in the church. Well, Megan, I'll add one thing. I, I think that it's important to point out that even a, a heartless, faithless, peon like myself can say i'm really glad that none of that ended up happening well thank you <laughs> Me too. that's really great that's really great so you mentioned that you have a few brothers yes i have four brothers and no sisters no sisters you're the solo girl how was that growing up it was good i learned to hold my own against him yes yeah, so now do you hold your own against alex <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> More, maybe it should be stated that Alex holds it, tries, <laughs> attempts to hold his own. That's Megan. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Megan, um, so I'm curious. You said that your family's super orthodox. So, well, you said that they were orthodox. Can we so, do like the, the, the litmus test? Yeah, let's do the litmus test. Like, Did you have Coke in the house? Yes. Oh, ooh, okay. Oh, okay. So, strike one. So, <laughs> caffeine was okay. Yes. Caffeine was okay. Like, my dad rarely drank water. It was always Coke. Like, <laughs> that's fair. Switched that's to fair. Diet Coke now. I've, like, I've seen him drink water once. Multiple runs to Sonic for his 44 ounce Diet Cokes. Like, Anytime he says you go into the post office, he's really going to Sonic to get diet. <laughs> uh, let's see what's another one. Oh, um, did you go to church when you were on vacation? No, we didn't. Okay. We went out to eat on Sundays, like on Mother's Day. Our family home evenings, if we had them, was more like going to get ice cream. Um, right. Sounds like an awesome family. Jeez, I want to be raised in that Orthodox family. <laughs> <laughs> the most memorable family home evening, I think, for me and all my siblings, we were teenagers, and my mom, we were talking about Caiaphas's palace, and my mom kept saying, don't go where you won't be tempted. And like she just kept repeating it over and over, and finally my dad cut in and was like, okay, that's enough. So <laughs> anytime something happens, we're always like, yeah, mom, don't go where you won't be tempted. <laughs> she'll never love she'll never live that one down never live that one down that's right did you ever feel any pressure i think sometimes like if you're the only girl you may have like pressure from a parent to act a certain way or be a certain way did you feel that with having growing up with boys or not really not really i mean my mom like i wore two pieces i wore a tank tops um i got some grief from some friends about the fact that I wore tank tops, but never from like my family. Your parents seem a a little more relaxed Orthodox than my parents Orthodox was. My dad had a little bit of a wild child phase in his teens. Stopped going to church. His dad was in the bishopric and he kind of rebelled a little bit, drank, didn't go on a mission. (laughs) I feel like they were pretty chill Orthodox parents. Alex, let's turn it over to you. Tell us about about your childhood. Yeah, so I also grew up in Sandy, Utah, about about a mile and a half away from Megan. My family, so I have an older sister, younger brother, big into sports, you know, on the litmus test, (laughs) on the uh, orthodoxy. At times, in different parts of our growing up, when we did go on vacation, every once in a while we would go to church, depending on where my parents kind of were at. Um, so every once in a while we'd go to church and I always hated that one on vacation. Um, but uh, grew up playing, playing sports. That was my passion. That was our family's passion. So a lot of our home evenings and family nights were really, instead of doing the, the traditional lesson and you know all of that which we did every once in a while was more spent as a family usually on the baseball field mm. um, so I, I played mainly baseball and so usually consisted of me you know my dad pitching to me and my mom my brother my sister kind of run around chasing the, the baseballs my sister played softball too and so um, that was our our family time um, which looking back at it, 
I think it was a lot more effective for us than, you know, the sit down, let's have a formal meeting. That didn't work for our family. It was, didn't have the attention span for it. Looking from the outside, growing up, you know, it looked very, for me, orthodox, you know, followed all the steps, got baptized at eight, got the priesthood at 12, you know, was always passing the sacrament and, you know, just went up the ladder and tried to do what was expected. You know, then we got to the mission, went on a mission. For me, it was following, making sure I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing, reading my scriptures, um, praying, yeah, everything that was taught at church, those basics. And so uh, at times we would we would have family prayers, um, but it wasn't, you know, every night or every morning. It would be kind of, you know, for a few weeks or when we could do it, and then it would kind of fade away and come back. And um, so I wouldn't say super orthodox, but my parents – Definitely didn't let me ditch Sunday. So we were at, at church every Sunday uh, on time. And so, yeah, they didn't let us off look on that. I went to, you know, all the activities. Uh, once I got to scouting age is when sports took over. So I kind of, I got to life. My, my mom said, pushed me to get to my, my life and said it was up to me to get my Eagle Scout. And so I never did because baseball got in the way eventually, but, uh, um, but yeah, did all the, the normal, what you call normal things. Sure. And so your, your youth experience prior to the mission was um, probably a bit typical, typical as far as, I mean, there's, there's no unearthed trauma from your childhood. As far as the church goes, it was just a normal churchy childhood. Yeah. And, and from, from, the, and I, I call it the, you know, 30,000 foot view. If you looked at it, no. Looking back at it now, and this is where, you know, whenever you want to get into some of the mental health things, there was definitely trauma in my childhood growing up, especially around doing the right things around church and feeling like you know, I had a hard time with feeling like, did God love me? Did he care about me? And so that was always a struggle. And so I I made it a point to try to do the right things and not, you know, not go party, not go drink and not, you know, go do the things that I wasn't supposed to be doing um, and try to be kind of on that, that straight and narrow path. Right. So, um, I'm going to go to Megan because I want to get into the mental health stuff. But first, I want to um, you said that, Alex, that you guys lived a mile and a half apart in Utah land. That's like three, two or three stakes. It could be it could be pretty far. Right. So, Megan, do you want me do you want to tell us how you met and how you ended up together? We went to middle school together. I didn't know him then. He says he remembers me from seventh grade choir class. She Uh, had Doc Martens, the brown ones. (laughs) Oh, man. That is a sign of wealth right there. (laughs) I was envious of them. And she was was tall and athletic. So I was like, who is that? Um, Our sophomore year of high school, he was dating one of my teammates. And that's, I think, how we first met. Um, And then... Our senior year, we had mutual friends, and that's kind of 
where we became friends. So yeah, so we started hanging out with this mutual group of friends. And then after high school, everybody moved away, went off to school. I stayed here and went to Slick. He went down to Price and would come up on the weekends and we'd hang out. Um, We just kind of built like that really good friendship. You know, we talked about a lot of things, had fun together. And I think what, like about the time he got his mission call, (laughs) I think we were in that phase where we were like really good friends and we did like, we both liked each other, but we didn't want to jeopardize the friendship. And right about the time he got his mission call, things changed (laughs) and we kind of started dating. Um, And then he left on his mission. I told him up front, I wasn't going to wait for him. So I wrote him weekly for like eight months, eight months. Um, And then I, you know, I started dating other people and um, had some guys that were not so great. And um, so the writing dropped off in the middle of the mission and then picked back up at the end. And when he was coming home, I was scared of what would happen because I wasn't, I was kind of in a phase where I was hating guys <laughs> at the time. And I was afraid of what would happen. I wasn't ready to get married. And so when he got home, of course I was excited to see him. I think his mom made me wait like a week or something before I was allowed. I think you guys went on vacation or something right when you got home. Yeah. So I had to wait like a week to even see him. But then we would like make plans and I would like bail on him last minute. I was a total jerk to him when he got home. So he was dating this other girl. We would text like every once in a while. And at one point he texts me like, hey, is there any chance with us? Like she's talking about getting married. And I just want to make sure like that things are done with us, that there's no shot. If I And I was like, whatever, if you want to marry or marry her, that's like, I can't say, you know, and. And we didn't talk for a long time. And my family used to go camping up at Moon Lake every year over Labor Day. And this one year, for whatever reason, he was on my mind like all weekend. There's no cell service up there. But I couldn't get him off my mind. And so well, as soon as we got back into service, I sent him a text, which he almost didn't respond to because he thought I was going to tell him I was getting married, which <laughs> was so far from what was happening. Um, and we, anyway, so yeah, he responded back and he had just gone down to Dixie (laughs) to play baseball, but he came up that next weekend and we hung out and yeah, it was like, we never missed a beat and happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're engaged, Engaged but, uh, in December, uh, three or four months later and then got married in June. So what year did you get married? 2008. 2008. Okay. So you've got 12 years under your belt. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Okay. So you get married and what were your plans in the beginning? Maybe Alex, you can talk about that. So we got married. I had a year left um, down at Dixie. And so uh, we moved down there and spent the year. I played baseball. She went to, to school and, and worked some to help pay the bills. 
Some. Some. <laughs> a lot, I guess. <laughs> and a lot of student aid. Well, I mean, I was a CNA. It's not like I was making boatloads of money. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's true. You know, after that year, we actually moved back up to, to Salt Lake and figured, it, you know, it was okay. Get my degree finished. I had a semester left because uh, I had switched majors in between. So I transferred to the University of Utah. The plan was you know, the normal, get a job, you know, eventually start a family, you know, raise them in the church. And and let's just, uh, we're going to fast forward and we want you to take us to when you start to feel a faith transition happening. If it was for Megan or Alex, we know the answer, but why don't you reveal to the listeners the answer to that? So it was me. Oh, <gasps> no. You know, and it, uh, so when we were back in Philadelphia, I would say was probably the, the, the time period where I felt the most connected, involved in the church because the ward we were in was kind of half in the, the city, half in the suburbs. You know, it was one of those wards where we had 600, 700 people on the rolls, 100 people showed up. Uh, a lot of them were very, new to the church and didn't know a lot of the, the doctrine. And I was called fairly quickly as the, the work clerk. So I, so I spent the whole time we were back there. How long? Three years. Well, I was two there for half. two. So you three, almost three years. And I was the work clerk the whole time. So I was going to all of the Bishop brick meetings uh, because I worked in finance. Uh, I spent a lot of time meeting with people that, uh, the bishop would ask me to, you know, help them create budgets and manage their finances. Uh, I taught uh, elders quorum once a week. I went out with the missionaries um, consistently. And so, you know, for me coming from Utah, it was that mission field, right? It's outside of Utah, smaller ward. So uh, I was very involved, knew everyone and, and felt great. Um, and it was actually right before we moved back to Utah that kind of sparked, I would say, the the, the the faith transition. And it was this was late 2013, so the the essays had some of them had started just coming out during the the three years I was back there. All of my employees would would ask questions about the church, and I loved it because missionary opportunity. And so I got all kinds of questions and it was exciting and fun for me. And the, the essays had just, had just been released. But at the same time, one of my employees had come up to me and said, Hey, here's a couple of questions I have for you. And I had no idea what he was talking about and asked him where he got it from. And he said, oh, I was, uh, did some research on the, the internet. It was around, you know, some of the rock and the hat and the multiple first visions. And I was like, I've never heard of this. You know, I thought I was pretty knowledgeable. So then the essays dropped that that said exactly what he was talking about. And I just told him, you know, that's just anti-Mormon thing, you know, lies that are on there. You know, don't don't read that. And so it kind of sparked a curiosity of, okay, what am I missing um in 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 the church? What what haven't I been taught or what do I not know? And so we moved back 
um, right after that. And I started to kind of explore down that path a little bit. I had even printed out the whole, I think at that point it was like 85 or 90 pages of the CS letter. I never really read the whole thing. Um, um, and that's when uh, kind of the peak of um, my, my mental health issues kind of got to that, that peak right at about that same time and uh, the breaking point. And so it kind of stopped my investigation into, um, you know, a lot of those, those doctrinal or historical issues and life turned into focusing on mental health issues and how we were, we're going to get through that. And so, yeah, the, the faith transition part was put on the back burner for a while. So Alex, do you, are those two things looking back to a seem connected? Like does the stress of learning these things and kind of your mind is kind of racing. Do you think like there's, there's a correlation there? Um, I'm not trying to lead you to say, yes, it, I'm just, just curious what your experience was. Yeah, for me, it was, I was getting progressively worse and depressed um, to a point finally where Megan was the first person in my life to actually get me to talk about what was going on and get me to see someone. And so I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, which is basically a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. It's like 0.2% of the population have it diagnosed. But I see a correlation as far as once I was able to you know, get on the right medications and, and, and talk with my therapist about you know, the, the disorder and what was going on in my life, it, it kind of turned a light bulb on in my head where I could, I think more critically about things. And so I think that helped, you know, when it, when I started really diving into some of the, the historical um, and doctrinal things and definitely I think helped me to take that, that step that sometimes is, you know, very scary of going down the, the rabbit hole. Megan, what did you notice um, was happening first? Did you notice that his mental health was deteriorating or um, was it a combination of him doing all of this studying? And did you know about what he was studying? I had no idea what he was studying. Um, so for me, all I knew about at the time was his mental health. And when he told me, I mean, basically, what he told me was that he had been suicidal for the last year, um, and that scared me. Um, so I wanted his parents, we were out on a date when it happened, and his parents had our kids, and I wanted to go, like, straight to it. Like, when we picked the kids up, like, tell his parents so we would have that additional support. Um, but he didn't want to, and, it's, and it wasn't my secret to share. We got him help, um, got him into a therapist through my work's EAP um, until we could find something else. It wasn't until a couple years later that I knew anything about his digging into the church or studying the church. That's really hard to share, Megan. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's I, I think, too, maybe your approaches are different. 
right? Megan, you wanted to like go find help right away. And I mean, you said you're a nurse, right? I am a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a fixer. You want to fix it. You want to get it together. And then Alex, you're like, hold off. I, this is, I am not ready yet. Is that how you felt? And when, like, when were you able to come out and tell people or tell your parents, people that were close to you that you you needed help? Yeah. So it was, um, it wasn't for probably what, six months until six months or so until we sat our parents down and I, I told them what was going on. And then probably another six months after that until we told, you know, our brothers and sisters, um, what was going on. And for me, um, I can remember back to when I was five, starting up five is when I started to, to really have a hard time. That's why I talked about the 30,000 foot view of my childhood. You know, it, it was great, but at the same time, I was living this unknown for me, tortured life because, um, you know, in the the nineties, you know, eighties, nineties, <clears throat> I was being taught in church that you know that Satan goes after the, his you know the the strongest people to try to tear him down, and you know it was being taught about you know his legions and of army you know that would you know try to to, to lead you astray, and at that same time, I'm all of a sudden started at five hearing voices hallucinating where, you know, I'm, I'm seeing people and I'm scared. Um, I remember night after night, you know, for hours after I go to bed, sitting in my bed with my blanket over my head and a flashlight, reading the scriptures, praying for hours, trying to, in my eyes, you know, get Satan away. Cause that's how I felt what was going on as part of that. It made me try to keep on that, that straight narrow path because I was afraid if I told anyone what was going on, that, um, you know, I'd be sent to a mental institution and I wouldn't be able to play baseball. And that was the one thing that let, you know, that, that the voices went away. Um, that I felt normal was during practice, during games. Other than that, it was, you know, voices 24 seven, you know, hallucinations. And, um, as a kid, I was very, very active that, uh, my parents would go to, um, parent teacher conference. And I was the kid that yeah, Alex is, is very athletic, very good at sports. Uh, can't shut up in the classroom, you know, disrupts everyone to all of a sudden I hit junior high and I went dead silent um, to where they said, Oh, he's a great student. Doesn't interrupt. And my parents thought, you know, are you talking about my child? But it was, you know, this accumulation of uh, this schizoaffective disorder that was building. And so for 30 years of my life, or I guess 25 years of my life, I kept that secret as close as I could to, because I was so afraid that if someone found out about it, 
what the what would happen mm-hmm. and taken away. And so even when we got married, and, and Megan would tell you the first year of our marriage was very difficult, especially on her, because I felt her getting too close to that secret. And so I started to push back um, because I was afraid if she found out what was who I actually was, what was actually going on, she wouldn't want to be with me or, you know, I'd get sent off somewhere. And so, you know, I, I kept that secret until, until she finally uh, got me to break. Until eight years later. Um, yeah. So it was, um, you know, there was a, a couple suicide attempts in there, which luckily didn't happen for some reason. I have a high tolerance for um, medication, <laughs> which helped. But uh, there was a lot of dark times um, leading up to that. And it got to a point where I either had to do something about it or, uh, uh, you know, a, a suicide attempt was going to be successful because um, it was just like I couldn't keep living like that. Wow. Thank you for sharing. It's tough, heavy stuff. Maybe like many listeners now who just don't quite, some of us can, can relate to some anxiety and some depression, especially heightened in moments of the transition away from the church or being the spouse of a transitioner uh, can bring some, some anxiety and depression. But I wouldn't be surprised if not one of our listeners can, can relate to your specific disorder of, of schizoaffective disorder. You mentioned even as a as a young child, you you really felt like this was something coming from an evil source, coming from Satan, and you you were trying to to pray it away. You were trying to read the scriptures and make it go away. Can I, can we ask? My only, <laughs> I think of the movie A Beautiful Mind. Right? Did you yes. have Paul Bettany and Ed Harris talking to you, or like? I, I, were these the voices and the hallucinations? Were they sp- specific to spiritual matters, or they make you feel bad about yourself? I'm not. I'm curious, kind of how that works. Yeah. So, so for me, so I have two voices in my head. One's a female voice. One's a male voice. It's only been recently since I've started to to talk about a lot of this this stuff. And if open, and, and if you don't want to talk about it in detail, that's completely no. Fine. I, I, this is definitely, I, I'm more open to it now because it, it's kind of freeing to talk about it, you know, because I think people can relate on, on some level. I like to think of it as, you know, think about um, the worst possible things that, you know, if you go back to say your high school days or that a, you know, a girl you liked or a boy you liked, uh, would could say about you or, or, you know, getting bullied, the worst possible things that a girl could say about me. And then the, what a, a guy, the worst possible things that guy could say about me. And that's going on in my head nonstop. You know, they're always talking about, you know, how, you know, how bad I am at everything, how uh, useless I am, uh, you know, bad father, bad husband, bad at my job, you know, every, everything, attack, attack, attack. And if it's not doing that, then they're basically 
narrating my life. So it's like, you like baseball. I like baseball. It's like listening to a play by play. Play by play. Um, And so, if one of the voices was Vin Scully, I mean, I could see. That would be a better voice for sure. It would have been at least a little peaceful, right? Yeah. So, yeah, growing up, it was very scary because I didn't know what was going on. Um, I didn't know, you know, if I was imagining things, if I, you know, the, the hallucinations, it was to me, I thought I was seeing, you know, spirits. Um, or, you know, I would look and see someone standing in my doorway, but they're not standing, they're floating there. Or I wouldn't call it like demon type things flying at me at night when I'm in bed as a young kid that that would scare me. And I, I didn't know really what was going on, you know, and then, and then as, as I've gotten older, you know, the, the hallucinations have gotten less and less with, with medication, but I'll still see people that I don't necessarily always recognize, but that are, that are there that follow me kind of like a, like a beautiful mind, but not, not to that extent, but the not as, not as well screenplayed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the voices are there constant. And so when I'm, when I'm on that, that high uh, of the bipolar part, you know, they're, they're less attacking. And when I, but when I'm on in that depressive state, which is usually a more depressive than manic is when they definitely attack and it's nonstop. And so, you know, just think about someone, you know, talking in your ear 24 seven, it's hard to, yeah. a lot of times it's hard to communicate. It's hard to, to sleep, it's hard to do a lot of things. And so um, it was, it was a huge struggle and became so bad that, um, you know, something had to be done about it. 2014, uh, very similar to you kind of stumbled on some gospel topics essays and a few new topics. Didn't feel like I could go down that way because it kind of scared me a little bit. Had some mental health issues as well um, that had to take care of. It was only when those started to feel like they were under control that I felt like I could readdress the, how I felt about the church. Is that how the timeline worked for you? Absolutely. And that's why I think it's, it's connected because I spent, um, what, three, two or three years really. I mean, it was trying to keep this secret was so bad that even when I went and started going to a therapist, they first diagnosed me as bipolar because I didn't tell them about the voices or hallucinations or anything. I didn't tell Megan about that part for six months at least. And so it was, it was that bad where I didn't want anyone to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so finally when, you know, going through all the medication and the changes and the disaster that anyone has gone through that is, I was taking some pills. I mean, so many pills that couldn't figure out which one was which, but um, one that would make me so tired that I would like lay on my desk at work and sleep for 20 minutes because I couldn't function. Um, Katie, I know you like Disneyland. <laughs> and we actually went to Disneyland. This is how we figured it out. But we went to Disneyland. And one day I forgot to take a certain pill and things were good. The next day I took the pill 
And I literally couldn't function. I just wanted to lay on the bench and sleep the whole time. You know, we had young kids. And and so, uh, and so it it was, it was pretty bad going through those couple of years. But once I started, got on the right medication that worked for me and, and started to work through things with a therapist that, that I was able to look and, and think more, more critically and, and just not, you know, kind of, kind of question things because my whole life it was do what was said so that no one finds out this secret. Right. I didn't want to disappoint my, my parents or, you know, because somehow they'd figure out the secret to now. Okay. I can, I can ask questions. I can think more critically about things. Um, and it was like, you know, this fog was lifted from my mind to where I thought um, more about it. And so it was actually in 2018 um, when I was watching the believer documentary, mm. really when it brought it back up, um, Meg and I were actually watching it together. There was a part where I actually ended up rewinding a couple of times um, and asked her if he really said what it was. And I think it was, uh, um, you know, that, that uh, being a homosexual was a sin, like drinking or something like that. And it didn't make all of a sudden and that light bulb went off. Like that doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, all of the stuff that I had started studying back in 2013, 14, I started kind of remembering and started to, to, you know, ask questions and say, okay, that doesn't sound right. I need to learn more about this. But I would, at the same time, I was, I was too scared to tell Megan anything because, you know, we just went through this whole mental health crisis. And now I'm going to throw right after we finally kind of get in a good area, throw a bunch of questions about the church into it. And, and so I spent um, a lot of time at work talking with coworkers about it and learning, you know, um, and doing research myself and um, didn't talk to her a lot about it at all, really, Um, which if I could do it over again, definitely do differently. Um, Very common tale. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I was so afraid to say anything that I was having questions or, you know, or having issues with certain things um, because I just put her through this very hard last few years with my mental health that now I was going to turn around and do the same thing with uh, a faith crisis. And, and, you know, looking back, they are very, very similar as far as, trying to deal with it and, and uh, you know, the, the grieving portion and, and all of that. Megan, I want to throw it to you because um, I feel like you've been through a lot, right? Just from what we've heard you've, and, and I'm not saying it, it goes both ways, right? You're there to support each other, but I can imagine just feeling heartbroken and sad and then wanting to fix things, right. As you did when you were trying to help him, get heal and um, get help that he needed. And then at what point were you clued in to the fact that he may not feel the same way about the church? Tell us about that journey for you. Um, 
think was it the end of 2018 that you told me and I I don't know like I felt like my whole world was blowing up again um it, well, you know for me it totally came out of left field I had no idea that he was feeling this way and if you know he wanted to talk about all of it and I was like I can't I can't be the only one you talk to about this you have to talk to somebody else I did not handle it well at all in the beginning but I told from the get-go I said we can make it work I know we can but it, yeah and the I mean it brought up a whole new ballpark it feels fierce for me just because of how our marriage had been and then we went through you know because he was trying to hide this from me I got pushed away a lot and then we went through this whole mental health thing and then he throws this bomb at me and says you know he was afraid that I wasn't gonna love him and I was gonna leave him and and I was like oh my gosh like I've been with you through all this stuff the last 10 years like, why would you think that I'm going to leave you or whatever? And so, um, yeah, I think we ended up meeting with the bishop once to talk about it. And then he met with his parents a few times to talk about things, which I thought was going to be helpful in the beginning based off what I was being told. But then I found out that um, his mom had said some harsh things. And so I was like, well, God, that kind of backfired on me. (laughs) But yeah, I always knew like that we could make it work. It just was going to be hard, Um, you know, and then I mourned the loss of what our life was going to be. You know, know, our daughter turned eight last year, you know, so like, so this was like just before her seventh birthday, I think that he told me. And I remember her like in the car one day, just out of the blue, talking about how excited she was to get baptized. And like my heart just broke because her dad wasn't going to be able to baptize her. And she didn't, you know, I didn't, I just asked who she wanted to baptize her at the time. And she was like, I don't know you. And I was (laughs) like, well, I can't. (laughs) Um, And gave her like a whole list of people. (laughs) Can't yet. Yeah. But, you know, I had to leave her dad off of that and that, you know, just all those milestones in life that I thought were going to go one way that now aren't necessarily going to go the way we thought. And you're allowed to grieve that. I mean, that's, I, I think it's important to to, to interject and, and just say that you know, it can be, it can be tempting for Alex, Alan, the, the, the transitioning spouse to react negatively to the grief that your spouse is, is experiencing. There's either, there's either I feel terrible that she feels this way. And then on the other end, there's a, no, this is happening to me. This isn't fair to me too. Like you, you need to get over this. I didn't choose this. And there's this like defiance that, that arises, at least in me, I'm not trying to say that how you reacted Alex, but like it is so normal to grieve that. I mean, Katie has grieved those things and still grieves those many of those things. And it's, it's difficult. Megan, I look at your story and, you know, I, and I can see that in my own story that, uh, you know, I, you feel like one wave hits or maybe one tsunami hits and then another tsunami hits and, 
And I think um, where we're at, I think that there's a little bit of a, a negative thought that what's coming next? If this is happening to me and it happens over and over again, what what is it he's going to tell me next that he wants to do? And yeah. it, have you felt that? I say to it, like, what's the next big bomb that's going to drop? Like, <laughs> like, I just keep waiting for something to drop. And I hate that that's how it is. But I just, you know, I got those two bombs right in a row. And I'm like, okay, what's next? What's, <laughs> you know, and I think I've reached out to you a few times in some fears that you shared that you had initially, like, he wasn't going to want me, he was going to cheat on me. Like, um, he always said, he had always told me, like, I never tried alcohol because I knew if I did, I was going to be an alcoholic. And then he comes to me saying, you know, I want to try alcohol. And like, oh my gosh, he's going to become an alcoholic. And, um, but I sometimes still, I'm like, okay, when's the next bomb coming? Like, what's next? <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I think that that is like something I felt too for, for a while, you know, I kept wondering, Oh no, when's the next um, foot going to drop, but also something that I learned along the way, which I, I think that that's where you guys are. You're learning as well is, is the tools that you need to communicate and to talk openly and not hide. Right. Alex, some of that fear and shame and, and thoughts of, oh no, you know, if I don't, if I, if I say something, it's going to be worse where keeping it inside is actually the most harm that that's causing you pain as well as your spouse. And I think Alan and I are at a place now where we have learned the tools to be able to just talk about things without them being bombs, right? They're like, I was thinking about this, or I was thinking about that. It's, it's not all at once. So I, I would love for you to share with us, what are some things that you learned in your mixed faith marriage um, with and, and mental health wise, Megan, how do you support someone who is going through a mental health crisis? I am sure that there are spouses out there that don't know what to do. So t- what would your advice be? Gosh, I'm not going to lie. It's really hard. Like we said, I'm a nurse and I want to fix things. And I mean, we studied mental illness a little bit in school and it's not my area that I work. So I know like people who are depressed, like can have a hard time getting up and being active and doing things. Um, But sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, can you just get up and help me? Like I am drowning here. It takes, it for sure takes a lot of patience. Um, We've also started therapy together um, and that's been a huge help with our relationship. What about in the mixed faith? I think yeah. that a lot of times there's crossover there, but kind of in mixed faith, what, what have you found has been helpful as you know, it's been in a little over two years since the, that bomb was dropped, but yeah. understanding that you're still working through it. Uh, you're still learning those tools, but what, what have you found helpful up to this point? Um, well, with COVID happening and (laughs) everything kind of getting shut down, um, it's kind of, I don't know, I haven't been very good about doing come follow me with my kids or even going to church. Um, when he stopped going to church, um, I mean, there wasn't even a discussion like, Hey, I'm going to stop coming. He just like, he had knee surgery and he just stopped coming. And then I was kind of on my own to like, 
get myself and my three children ready for church. Like he just did his own thing. So that was super hard. Um, and a lot of times like at church, I'd be sitting in sacrament meeting wondering like, why am I even here? Like, I'm just fighting my kids the whole time. I'm not getting anything out of this. So then COVID happened and I just, it was easy just to not go. And even since like they've started, our ward has broken up into groups and they just go for 45 minutes, but they also broadcast it online. And so I really haven't even gone to church since March. Our daughter did get baptized back in September, which Alex and I discussed that a lot. And I know, I mean, you guys have shared how much you guys have talked with Zara about it. So that was a big challenge that we had to overcome. But I feel like for us, the mental health has been at the forefront of things and the mixed faith has kind of fallen to the back and kind of, I mean, we talk about it every once in a while, but it's more so a focus on the mental health. Alex, how has it been for you now being out? Your wife knows where you're, where you're at um, and you're working on your mental health. How, how has that been either helpful for you? Um, what have you found that has um, been positives in this process? Uh, some of the positives for, for me, I'm definitely the poster boy for doing, uh, you know, the wrong, doing everything the wrong way as far as, you know, communicating with her um, about some of those milestones, whether it's, you know, stopping wearing garments or going to church or talking about changing in beliefs. I did everything the wrong way. Um, but through it all, uh, some of the positives for me is it's helped me to um, be, it, it's let me be kind of more, more free and, and I feel happier Um being able to kind of think for myself, feel um, accepted. Megan's uh, definitely done a very good job of making me feel accepted for who I am. And really for the first time in my life, learning about who I am, what I believe, you know, and, and why it opened my eyes to how much patience uh, Megan actually has and how strong she actually is because that's things that I took for granted, but seeing how much that I put her through and, and still do and how strong she is has, has made me want to open up more and more to her. And, and it's still a slow process for me because I'm still you know, sometimes stuck in that, fear, shame, guilt cycle, but uh, um, it, it, it's, it's for me, it's helped to actually strengthen our relationship for her, just being able to accept me and take those fears away of, you know, she's going to leave me, you know, because I, I, I changed the contract, um, you know, some of the, the, the typical worries that people have, 
and just how important communication is when it comes to whether it's mental health, um, faith, beliefs, but really having that communication, learning how to communicate effectively. Um, that's something we're still learning through um, our therapist, how to communicate, you know, effectively because still dealing with the mental health and some days are really good and some days are really bad. And my therapist always tells me that at least so far, I'm very lucky because a lot of people that have schizoaffective disorder, you know, can't work, you know, have problems with family, you know, end up homeless, really have hard struggles. And so for me, it's a, it's an everyday struggle to make sure that I can provide for my family, um, you know, give our relationship what, what it needs. And a lot of times I fall short on that. Um, but it's just going through all of this, um, especially all kind of at the same time and back to back has opened my eyes of, you know, strong my wife is and, you know, how powerful a relationship can be the more communication that happens. And sometimes it's difficult conversations. Yeah. We all have those difficult conversations. I mean, that's what you have to do to get through to the root of the the issue or the problem, even though it's really hard to do. And, you know, I, I love that you said, you know, you, it's hard for you to open up. You're still learning how to do that because of the shame and guilt and fear that you're, that you're feeling. But I, I also want to point out, Megan, you, you said that, you know, you haven't done come follow me this year. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying to speak for you. What I pick up on that is that you feel guilt for what you haven't done with your kids when it comes to church stuff. And I, I mean, I can relate because that's, I mean, I, Alan and I had this conversation the other day is we don't, I don't really push anything, you know, when it comes to church, there's not a lot that I push on uh, just so that I can avoid having a conflict about it. And so you're, I mean, you're holding that, that guilt as well. And so it, that's painful for, for both of you to hold that guilt and not be able to express that to each other. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you're doing so through therapy and communication. Um, it, Megan, I want to give you a chance to, to speak to that maybe. Yeah. I mean, I do feel guilt for not teaching my kids, you know, what I should be per the church you know, and I think part of that, I love my mom to death, but she, you know, have, have you done come follow me with your kids? Have you talked, did done this, the new primary program came out. Did you talk, like talk goals with your kids? Like, um, so I think some of the guilt comes from that, from having to be like, no, I haven't, I haven't done that. I know I should, but I haven't, I don't want to push things with the church you know, I want my kids to be able to learn and choose for themselves um, what they want. And I think also because the mental health has been at the forefront, um, I would say I'm also maybe a little bit uncomfortable doing it. I would feel uncomfortable doing it with Alex around. 
and not because of anything that he's done or said to me about it. That's just my own thought on it. But I like the day is so busy, like with school and all their activities, like there's just no other time to do it except when he would be here. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to just say thank you for sharing all of this, both of you, because these are absolutely feelings that Alan and I have felt not specific to mental health in a little small, small depression and anxiety, but also to um, just Megan, also what you you're feeling and you're thinking and um, yeah, family members can be very well-meaning, but they can all, they can also um, come in the way of your relationship and marriage and how you want to raise your family. So Mm -hmm. I, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's, that's really tough to talk about. And yet so many in this, in this area, in this group is feeling that as well. Megan, it's, uh, oftentimes it's hard to point out the wins when you're in the middle of the, the hurt. Mm-hmm. For sure. uh, can I point out just in, in that last little part that you, that you just talked about, you said a few things that were so key. You mentioned, I want the kids to be able to pick and choose for themselves. That is a lesson that is so difficult to embrace as a parent, especially in a mixed faith marriage, because something that you hold so dear it's very, very real odds that one, two, or all of your children will choose not to continue in the church. So the fact that you've gotten there, that's a huge win. That's a really big win. You you know, you mentioned, I know it's very difficult because you're feeling this guilt surrounding not doing what you think you should, what you feel you should. And then the reasons that you give for not doing those things are very family centered. They're very considerate of your spouse's situation. Um, that doesn't mean that there, there isn't any, that doesn't lessen the guilt maybe, but, uh, or, or even there could even be small resentment, uh, to that fact. But the, like the reasons are, are good and genuine. And oh my gosh, it's so hard. It's so, I'll actually say it the other way. It's so easy to beat ourselves up for not being good enough and not doing what we should at all times. Like Katie and I were in every way we were away um, just on a little date night. And I was telling her like, you know, in 2021, I want to be more uh, intentional with the kids and get back to really teaching them. I feel like I've been kind of laser focused on, on work and I haven't had enough effort for wanting to help teach the kids on different things. And it's like, it's this balance the balance of trying to, trying to do what you feel is, is the best for you and your family while also not kicking yourself when you don't hit that. It's really hard to find. And Alex, I can imagine for you, like having those voices, especially when you're on the low, telling you you're not good enough, you're not doing enough. Um, I can imagine that that can be amplified in a marriage where you feel like you're constantly hurting your spouse, or you're not living up to your parents' expectations. Absolutely. You know, our, my, my, Family and all of her family are all active. I'm I'm kind of like the black sheep now. It's those those voices definitely attack, and I feel a lot of guilt about. Okay, I I know I'm hurting her, or I know she has to go through things because of my choices, right? So yeah, me, you know, I, I, we haven't had that same conversation with our families 
that about me leaving the church as we did with my mental health. Um, I think most of them kind of figured it out, but uh, we've never been open about it. But, you know, yeah, I feel guilt about some of the the pressures that, that Megan gets or the questions or, you know, hey, are you teaching your kids because Alex isn't going to do it? You know, and, it, and that makes it extremely hard just for, you know, the, the traditional person. But, yeah, then you have those voices and that's when they really go after me and, and it becomes extremely difficult. And then it leads to, you know, more depression and then you feel more guilty because then you can't function and then it puts more stress on Megan. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm working on because it's, I felt like I've put so much on her plate and it just keeps getting, you know, piled on there. And I see the stress that she goes through and it it hurts me to see her that way. So yeah, it, it makes the huge struggle on. And so, yeah, when you mix those two, um, it makes it, you know, twice as hard for sure. Yeah. You know, I had a really interesting conversation with a group of friends who are in this space and you know, one of them has a husband that is going through mental health crisis and, uh, and, and it's hard. It is day to day hard because, there's, you know, there can be some grumpiness, there can be some lashing out, there can be a lot of things in there. And, um, you know, we had this discussion about this idea that we, we say that we want to love people where they're at, but that can be hard. One, one thing to say that, and it's another thing to do it. And, you know, if we think about just having the mindset of, Maybe this is what, this is their best. Right now, what they are giving is their best. I think that makes it a little bit easier for us to love them where they're at, if we have that in our mind. This is the best that we're doing. This is the best we can do together. This is the best today I can offer to you. And that's it. And and let's just love us each other for where we're at today. And I think that takes the pressure off of, um, having any sort of expectation or guilt or shame or fear about about where it will go, it's it's just look. This is what today looks looks like, and we're gonna just take it one day at a time. And Megan, you mentioned patience, and that that is um, that is key. Time and patience with all of this as time goes on, and you just do the best you can, step by step. And that's what I hear from both of you, and that's what I. I can feel you doing as you talk about this with such emotion and love towards each other. Well, I want to ask both of you, but Megan, I want to ask you first. So you are in the middle of it. You're, you're actively working towards a thriving mixed faith marriage. You've already won some battles, but there are battles to be won. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to January 5th, 2023. It's two years from now. (laughs) <laughs> what what does that look like? What does a on that date, if we got back together, what are some of the battles that you're hoping to have won? What what does your marriage look like in two years? I mean, I feel like we have good periods and then we go through these ruts. And I hope that in that time we've learned the tools that we need to keep it more on the up and avoid so many of the downs that we have. You know, I hope that 
we've learned all those communication tools and we can both be open and honest. And sometimes that takes, you know, waiting to talk about a topic until I'm not so emotionally charged on it or vice versa, because that never ends well. I think we will still be together at that time. (laughs) You know, with his being one of my biggest fears is him taking his life. So I hope he's still around and that we're thriving and that we can just keep working at it day by day. Because with mental health, that's what you have to do is just take it day by day. How about for you, Alex? What does two years from now look like? Being able to continue to build on those, like she said, communication skills that we've learned, opening up, being more honest, um, you know, and and really when it comes to the mental health portion of it, being able to, you know, come to that understanding, like Katie, you said of, here's the best I have today and that's okay. Um, and not, um, you know, always beating ourselves up, um, about not being good enough. Um, and, and on the mixed faith marriage portion, you know, I want to get to that, that point where we're, we're able to, and our kids are starting to get, uh, old enough to to share, you know, what each of our thoughts are on on you know different topics, um, and then letting them them choose. Um, so in, in in two years, hopefully that we have a good foundation of being able to talk to our children um, about what we believe, why we believe it, um, and being you know open and honest with them, and being able to to parent together, you know, more effectively and, and, and feel like we're, you know, not failing in, in that aspect as well. Notice unless either of you were editing yourselves, neither of you said uh, two years from now, I want Megan to have left the church or two years from now, I want Alex to have come back to the church. Not to say that it's wrong for, to, to hope either of those things, because there are moments that both of us have, have kind of said, wouldn't it be easier if we were on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, however, it seems like you both accepted, like, this is who I am. This is who my spouse is. Let's, we've chosen to move forward together. Like that's congratulations on being in that place because not everyone is in that place. We get messages a lot. And we talk to a lot of couples that are still trying to pull their spouse in or out of the church. And it, doesn't work first of all yes. and second is is not not the recipe for success in a mixed faith marriage and something else i want to commend both of you on is oh you know your faces mature- you have good faces good strong faces <laughs> <laughs> um i think that the majority of our episodes we catch people on the tail end of their journey right they've got all the wisdom They've got, they've got so much to say about how they made it through. And um, you guys are a lot like us. We, we started recording, you know, towards the, well, it was towards the, you know, middle-ish, you know, um, of, of our story. And so those feelings are so raw. 
And, and I just, I, I really, really appreciate, and I think it's important for people to listen to this because we have so many new people entering the space. And a lot of times when they listen to our podcast, they think, wow, you guys are in a totally different place than where you started. And, you know, I can't relate to anyone because now we're at the beginning. We're just starting this. And I feel like a lot of people um, that listen to this will find a lot of comfort and in relating to what you have to say, because you are in the thick of it right now. So I, I we really appreciate your willingness to come on because um, that's, that's a hard find usually uh, with interviews. Yeah. I mean, in preparing for this, so he was like, well, what advice do you have? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> because I don't feel like I really have any advice to give because I don't feel like we're, do- I mean, I, yeah, I had a hard time. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't like, because <laughs> I don't feel like, you know, the other people where they have all this advice and wisdom. And, you know, I listened to the one. The guy's a therapist. I can't remember their name. So I'm drawing a blank on it right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have nothing compared to them. <laughs> like, what are we going to offer? Like, what value are we going to bring? Because we're not there. It's hard to see those wins when you're in it. And part of that, you know, coming on and, and us discussing it is kind of opens your eyes to yeah, we've had a lot of, of hard times and gone through a lot, but starting to recognize here's some of the wins that we've had. Yeah. And now let's on that and continue, you know, growing that, our, our relationship to where, you know, we ultimately want it to be. You forget to see those wins and you focus on all of the things you're not doing um, instead of the things that you've done, done right. Yeah. So that reminds me of, it's a loose fit, but I'm going for it. Uh, it reminds me of the uh, Andy from The Office. Has a, he, has a, he has a moment of sincerity in one of the later seasons where he says, he says, I wish you could recognize the good old days while you're still in them. And it's a very profound quote where, look, I'm not saying you're in the good old days, <laughs> but... There is something to these, the, the early period of a mixed faith marriage, those first few years where, man, you are just, you're, it feels like you're in the boxing ring, not against each other, but just against it, against it, quote unquote, where you're just trying to figure this out. But guess what? Those are where the, when the battles are won, that's when intimacy is earned. Intimacy isn't earned in not struggling. There's, oh boy, there is something. That is a very gospel of Jesus Christ message. That's it really is. Yeah. It's like, that's how, you know, joy is through the trials and through the sadness and through the difficulties you have to get like, that's where the happiness is earned is by pushing through the the sad together. And you're both athletes. So there, there's the athlete metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this point with both of us past knee surgeries, I can think we can safely say we're former athletes. Former athletes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I just got my fifth. So oh. oh man, I'm uh, I'm three behind you then, unless you account my first one was two knees. So I'm two behind you. <laughs> not something that you should be bragging about (laughs) i don't know that few weeks of percocet makes it almost worth it Uh, uh, well um 
Alex and Megan, we just thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and opening up to us. I know that it will um, have an impact on someone because every story does. Thanks for joining yeah, us. We appreciate it. And hopefully it helps someone out there. And you know, if, if, if it does and people have questions, feel free to reach out um, you know, on Facebook. And I'd love to talk to, to whoever. Same. Thank you both, and thanks everybody for listening to Marriage Insider. When it's done, we're gonna see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't wanna leave, cause if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows, you can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go. Grow as we go. Grow as we go.